0: Well, welcome. We are glad you are here. We are celebrating Advent at FDC this December. This is something that the church has celebrated for thousands of years, and we are so glad that you are here to participate in our candle lighting service. We'll be starting each service through December with a candle lighting, so if you're joining us online, we're glad you're here. And I'm going to invite the Han family to come and light the Advent candle for us.
1: Good morning, and welcome to the first Advent, first Sunday of Advent. We all have been created. <laughs> oh, thank you. We all have been created to live in a kind of rhythm to mark time and seasons and celebrations, and the world around us does its best to shout out its calendar-flipping agenda at a frantic pace. Retailers market every moment. Our media pushes us to craze, crave the next style. Novel experiences, new remedies for the passing of time. But the season of Advent offers us a different choice. We are invited into a period of quiet expectation. Far from the frantic currents that can sweep us along, Jesus calls us to work firmly in his unchangeable promises as we prepare to celebrate his birth and wait with confidence for his coming again. Today, we light the hope candle,
0: Psalm 130, five through seven reads, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption.
2: Let us pray together. Lord, thank you for offering us a different way. Sustained by your unshakable promises. fill us with forward-looking hope that sees you sees you clearly through the distractions of this world. Amen. You're invited to stand and join the team for worship.
3: Jesus, born to set thy people free, from our fears and sins release us, and let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Let us pray. Lord, as we begin the observance of Advent, joining millions of other Christians of differing persuasions and cultures around the world, help us all to prepare room in our hearts for the newborn King, even Christ our Lord. The weeks and the months go by so quickly that it's almost impossible, Lord, to believe that a year has passed since we last made this preparation. But this Advent, I pray that we will make it a special time of rest and reflection. In the midst of our busyness, open our eyes to the wonder of a baby born in a manger who was born to set your people free. And as the hymn writer continued, from our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. We thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for all of the blessings that we have in this country, in spite of the problems which seem to pile up higher and higher. Help us, Lord, to be people of love, love for you and for our neighbors. Help us to find meaningful ways to show your love to others who are in desperate need this Advent season. Help us to be good citizens of our country and, more importantly, good citizens of the kingdom of heaven. When we are impatient, forgive us and grant us your peace. When we are forgetful of you, speak to us so that we may experience the fresh presence of the Spirit in our lives. And when we miss opportunities to help those around us, Gently remind us that when we reach out and help someone, we are touching you. And Lord, when we're just plain exhausted from all of the activities and preparing for Christmas, lead us beside the still waters and restore our souls. For those who are sick this morning, we ask you to be their healer. For those in need, we ask you to make provision for their needs. And Lord, use us as your agents of provision. And for those who are without hope, and there are many around the world in that situation, minister to them and remind them that Jesus Christ is the hope of all the earth, the desire of every nation, and the joy of of every longing heart. Now be glorified in the remainder of this service. Open our hearts and minds to your word. Bless our pastor as he brings us the word this morning. And then as we gather around your table, help us to remember your sacrifice until you come again to set all things right. All of these things we ask in the name of your son, Jesus who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Stand with me this morning, if you would, as we recite the Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit in Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greet someone this morning before you're seated, and tell them you're welcome in God's house.
0: Welcome again. We are glad you're joining us this morning. Um, Thank you to those of you joining us online as well. If you're new here, we would love to get to know you. Please fill out a card that's in front of you or maybe someone handed you a paper on your way in. You can take those things over to the Information Center after service and we would love to get to know you a little better and we're glad you're here. This week or this season, uh, we normally have a giving tree in the cafe. We still have a giving tree in the cafe, and we have noted that we've asked you for a lot of things lately. We were we just had a food drive for the pantry, and you are so um, generous. Thank you um, with with your donations there. So we're asking a little bit something of, different of you this Advent season. So. What you need to do is, just for your family, or if you want to do it individually, you can. Um, After service, go grab a tag off the tree. It says, FDC's Random Acts of Kindness. So inside this envelope is a challenge for you. I promise they're not difficult. Um, you could probably do most of them this afternoon. Um, there's a few that maybe maybe take a little planning. None of them take a lot of money. Um, so take one for your family. Open it up. You don't know what it is till you open it. And I challenge you to do whatever it says inside as a way to take the love that we know, the love that Christ has given us, and to spread that out into the world because he asks us to love one another. So there are some unique ways to love our neighbors, love our families, um, love the people that We may not know at all. Um, So that's your challenge this Advent season. If all the tags disappear, we'll put up new ones. So if you want to take a few, um, we'll make sure they're there. But do it. Um, Let Pastor Jason know how it went. he would love to know Um, and that's your challenge this Advent season so coming up um, at the Pettibones home on Friday December 15th Joy is hosting a Christmas gathering for women Um, you're invited to bring a dessert or an appetizer she's planning some games for us even if you've never been to a women's group even if you've never been to anything else um, that our church has hosted you are invited um, for a ladies gathering Friday December 15th so put that on your calendar um, at 6 o'clock if you need directions to the house. They live in Belvedere. You can talk to Pastor Jason or Joy, and we'll make sure that you get there. We would love to see you there. Um, it is the season of Advent as we've been saying if you haven't taken one yet there are Advent devotionals um, on the welcome tables for your family and you're invited to go through them during the season also Pastor Jason is writing a devotional so that is available on the app if you don't have our church app scan the QR code in the bulletin or you can ask someone to help you you can even go to the information center if you need help downloading the app and there will be devotionals waiting for you there each day So as you can see, it's beautiful here, so thank you so much to the team who put all these things together for us this weekend so that we can celebrate. Thank you to you for um, making things like this possible so we can celebrate the season so we can be welcoming to the people who come. There are many ways to give. There are many things that we pray we can um, use your gifts well for. So thank you for giving online or giving in person or sending um, tithes or offerings in the mail. We are so grateful for your dedication, for your commitment to this place, to this family. Um, so let's stand together and continue in worship.
4: As we continue in worship, I want to focus in on this first line. Actually, your version is the first two lines. In the darkness, we were waiting without hope, without light. This morning's sermon is going to be about hope. And maybe you're feeling you're without hope. The bringer of hope is the King of Kings, is he not? Yes? the King of Kings. Uh, You don't need us to declare it, but we declare it. We join in unison with churches uh, in this region, in this state, in this country, and around the world in praise of our King. God, I pray that you'd be honored by everything we say and do today, that we would bring honor to you, that we bring glory to you, and that it would be uh, an opportunity for us to experience your love and your hope. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Children, you are dismissed to Kids Church, and it is um, great to have you all here. Kids, enjoy your time. Uh, if you're if you're here, new with us this morning, we haven't met, my name is Jason. I am the pastor here at Faith Discovery Church. Uh, we call it FTC. We're glad that you're here, honored that you've chosen to spend a little bit of your time uh, with us this morning. I know many of you were planning on a picnic today because the weather is so great, but you chose to be here anyway, and I really appreciate it. For those of you joining us online who are at the picnic, enjoy the wonderful sunshine that I'm sure you're experiencing. But it's, you're such an important part of our community. Encourage you to chat with each other during uh, during the message. Encourage each other. Uh, wherever you are, church is better when you're here. I hope today church's experience is good for you. I hope you enjoy it. Hope is a word we're going to talk about a lot. I hope this is a beneficial uh, thing to, for you today, I, but I can promise you, you being here is beneficial to people around you. The fact that you're here makes church better for everyone else. So thank you so much for being here. And with that done, go ahead and play that video. hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 247 years ago, Thomas Jefferson wrote those words that would become the foundation of what we now call the American dream. They were among the first words designed to inspire people to believe in, a, in what America would be and could be. At the close of the Constitutional Convention, Benjamin Franklin looked at the painting on the chair that you see behind me that that George Washington used for the nearly three months of this contentious, debated, debate-filled Constitutional Convention. And he said, I've often looked at that picture behind the president without being able to tell whether it's a rising or setting sun. But at length, I have happiness to know that it is a rising and not a setting sun. Because he believed in what America could be, in his farewell address, his, his the, the, the the first farewell address from a, a president, George Washington wrote, "It would be it will be worthy of a free and enlightened, and at no distant period, a great nation, to give to mankind the magnanimous and not novel example of a people always guided." by exalted justice and benevolence. He would go on to write that the nation that indulges in habitual hatred is in some degree a slave to its animosity. And that animosity would be sufficient to lead it astray from its duties and its interest. About 65 years later, As he delivered the Gettysburg Address, Abraham Lincoln would say, Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth on this continent a new nation. Some of you memorized this in high school. Conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. He would go on to say that here on that battleground that they were dedicating where so many men had given their life that they resolved that those dead had not died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, that the government by the people, for the people and of the people, would not perish from the earth. In his later, in his second inaugural address, as the war was coming to end, Lincoln proposed that he said, with malice towards none and charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive to finish the work to, that we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who, has, uh, who shall have been born in battle, and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and, all, uh, and with all nations. Several decades later, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, would say, among American citizens, there should be no forgotten men. There should be no forgotten races. He urged the nation uh, in the middle of the Depression that in those days of difficulty, Americans everywhere must and shall choose the path of social justice, the path of faith, hope, and the path of love, to the words their fellow man. John F. Kennedy asked Americans to be more aware of what they could give their country than what they should receive from their country. When he said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, he was challenging America to fight tyranny and poverty and disease, even war itself. What can you do to help the person next to you? What can you do to serve your neighbor? What can you do to encourage the person in need? In 1963, Dr. King told the world that he had a dream. He had a dream that his four children would one day live in a nation where they were not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Ronald Reagan, in his farewell address to the country, after eight years of being president, he said, I've spoken often in my all my political life of, of the shining city. But I don't ever know that I've ever quite communicated what I saw when I said it. He said, after 200 years, two centuries, she still stands strong and true on the Granite Ridge. Her glow has held steady no matter what storm. And she's a beacon, still a magnet for those who must have freedom. For all the pilgrims from all the lost places who are hurtling through the darkness towards home. Just a few years ago, Barack Obama and his inaugural address told us that our generation's greatest task is to make these words, these rights, these values of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness available for every American. For 250 years, we have talked, we have heard about the hope of what America could be. And I love America. And I am privileged to live here and to celebrate its freedom. I'm privileged to stand in front of you in a country that has the right to assemble. But America has not achieved the hope of what it could be and should be and would be for every person. It hasn't. And so we, we stand here, the dreams are still just dreams for some. In fact, hope of what America could be has faded for some. For the tired, the poor, the huddled masses yearning to breathe breathe free. The idea of what America could be has not yet been accomplished. 250 years. 250 years. It's a long time. Now stay with me for a minute. As I take you back even further into history. 250 years. Feels like a long time. Saul became king of Israel in roughly 1021 BC. Is, to that date, Israel had been led by a group of judges, by, a, pan, by a, a, a group of people, but they wanted a king. God said, I'm your king. And they said, no, we want a king we could see. And so God gives them Saul And just over a thousand years before the birth of Christ, Saul takes the reins as the king of Israel. After Saul was David. Saul reigns for about 20 years. David becomes king. And when he became king, Nathan, his prophet, received this prophecy for the Lord over David. This is about a thousand years before Jesus is born. Read it with me behind me. The Lord declares that you. The Lord declares to you that the Lord Himself will establish a house for you, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring to to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish His kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for My name, and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Verse 16 is the promise. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. For roughly 45 years, Israel was a united kingdom. It found its heights in the reign of David. If you are really a a history geek, as I am, you could go on Google and watch the progression of how big Israel got in terms of land amassed during the time of Saul into the time of David at its max. And then as it shrinks, coming into Solomon, and then after Solomon, the kingdom splits because of taxes, because of unfair or un unpopular practices, the kingdom that was, that was 12 tribes splits, 10 tribes become the northern kingdom. It attains the name of Israel. Two tribes become the southern kingdom. They become Judah. That's where uh, eventually Jesus will live. It's where Jerusalem is. But the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Israel becomes two states. In 721 BC, 700 years before Jesus, The Assyrian Empire invaded the northern kingdom and it ceased to exist. It's during this time in history, 700 years before Jesus is born, in the northern kingdom falls, the southern kingdom has a prophet, his name is Isaiah. And he's in Jerusalem, and about the time the northern kingdom is falling, just to give you a sense of what's happening in the world, about the time the northern kingdom is falling, Isaiah prophesies this, and you could read it in Isaiah 7.14. Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the, the patience of my God also? And then he says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. A thousand years before Jesus arrives, before Jesus is born, Israel heard through David's line they would have a king whose reign would be endless. 700 years, 300 years later. 700 years before Jesus is born, Israel hears that God is with them. That's what Emmanuel means. You will have, you will, the virgin will give birth to a son and his name will be Emmanuel. God with us. 700 years later, uh, 300 years later, 700 before Jesus, Israel is promised, God is with you. Someone's coming to remind you, God is with you. But after those inspiring messages of hope, Judah would fall to Babylon. The temple would be destroyed. And Israel would experience more than 400 years of prophetless quiet. It's called the, inter-testam- uh, it's called the intertestamental period, the time between the Old Testament and the, New Test- and the New Testament. Israel doesn't hear from God, or at least doesn't hear from God in terms of from a prophet, During that time, just to give you a sense of history of what's happening during this time, Alexander the Great uh, comes into power, starts the, the, the Greek Empire, amasses way more land than David ever did, and eventually takes over Israel. It's during those 400 years that the Maccabean re- revolt happens. Now, maybe you're not familiar with the Maccabean revolt, but that Jewish people celebrate Hanukkah because of that. And so you start to see all of how history that you've learned in school and biblical history are intertwined. And decades and centuries of time passes on, and the promises that had been promised just seem like they're empty. For for so many Americans, the promise of what America could be in 250 years, 250 years of inspiring messages of hope, just don't, they seem empty. Too many people, are the marginalized, the poor, the hurting, the handicapped, just don't get all that they could get from this promised place. That's 250 years. Times that by three or four. And that's the Israel that meets Jesus thousand years of seemingly unfulfilled promises. At, at the time of Israel of Jesus' birth, Israel's hope was based on ancient stories. A thousand years of hope. seven hundred years of holding on to promises. When Jesus is born, Israel is tired. They're tired of not having independence. They're not they're tired of not having a king. They're tired of being conquered. They're tired of their hope not being realized. As I thought about a thousand years, I thought, that's so so hard to wrap your head around the amount of time that is. So let me give you a sense of things you might have heard of that happened a thousand years ago from our time now. A thousand years ago, the first crusade happened. Anybody there? A thousand years ago, the Normans invaded England. A thousand years ago, the Catholic Church, which was the only church, split and became the Catholic Church in the West and the Orthodox Church in the East. A thousand years ago is almost... 500 years before Columbus sails the ocean blue. You get, if you heard that poem when you were a kid, you got that. We're tired of waiting for what America could become. But Israel was holding out hope for three to four times that. Hope unfulfilled. Can be tiring. But Jesus offers a hope that rather than tiring, can be inspiring. And so this morning, with my remaining time, and we're going to not be long today, you're going to be like, Holy cow, this is a miracle. With my remaining time today, I want to offer you some things that are different about the hope that Jesus provides. Because when we come to Christ, when we put our faith in Jesus, we align ourselves, we tie ourselves, we, we we put ourselves in to a different category, a different group. And the things that we hope for are a little different. And so this morning I want to, I suggest that what's different about the hope that Jesus provides is first that it's not about attaining or acquiring. So often our hope is about what we could get, what we could receive, how we can make uh, the next step or... uh we, you know, I referenced it earlier. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, the foundation of what has become the American dream. For so many of us, the American dream is the ability to buy a home with a white picket fence. Or, uh, however you figure that category, whatever your dream is, oftentimes our hope is something that we could acquire. Just a little bit more money a little nicer car on a rainy day just a bigger umbrella hope is what we can acquire but hope should not be confused with privilege happiness Or a denial of just how broken things really are. You see, hope in Jesus doesn't deny the situation of the world. We live in a fallen world, a world that sin has corrupted. We don't have to deny that. We don't have to pretend that doesn't exist. It exists. You know what we sound like when we pretend it doesn't exist? Naive. Crazy. Ignorant. No, the reason why the hope of Jesus is so powerful is because it overcomes a broken world. And in a world of brokenness, you can still find hope because it's not about what you can acquire or what you can attain or what you can hold on to. Jesus offers an opportunity to embrace true hope because the pain and sinfulness of the world is acknowledged And the pain and sinfulness of our own lives is too. There's been a repeated theme that I've just been coming back to. I feel like I've come back to it on Sunday mornings. But I've certainly come back to it in my conversations with people. It's this idea that somehow, no matter how much we talk about it, no matter how much we grasp, no matter how much we theorize that we don't have to be worthy to receive the love of Jesus, we have a hard time putting that idea out of our mind and accepting the truth that you don't have to be worthy for Jesus to love you. You don't have to attain anything. You don't have to do anything. Jesus loves you. All you have to do is say thank you. Jesus, I accept your love. I acknowledge that I'm not worthy. And in my brokenness, I acknowledge I'm broken. I acknowledge it's not everything goes the way I think it's going to go. I acknowledge that there are times where I feel hopeless but you provide me hope. Second, the hope that Jesus offers is not simply based on, or is not based on a simplistic optimism. Hope is not born from mere optimism. Leslie Newbegin famously said, I am neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead christian hope is not a whistling in the dark it's not a, a way to minimize the starkness of the rea- of reality it's not a conviction it is a conviction about the ultimate outcome of history not something that might happen jesus Defeated and conquered death. And he shares that with us. And my hope is not that it might happen. My hope is not that I might live eternally. My hope is not that heaven might be there for me. All those things are assured to me. Plus, my hope is that Jesus is with me now. Paul writes that I see right now through a glass dimly lit. I hope to see him face to face. Paul's not saying when I die, I get to see God. He's saying, I want every day to see him more clearly in my life. And the opportunity for that exists for us. No matter what your situations are. The hope that Jesus offers is not based simply on a potential dream. We've had a lot of history this morning, so why not just a little bit more? During World War II, there was a Serbian priest who was in, imprisoned at Dachau, which was a concentration camp. And from there, he he wrote what would eventually become a, become published in a book as a book called Prayers by the Lake. And in one of them, one of these poems, and he would write poems and he would write prayers. In one of them, he writes. Um, Grumble, do not grumble against heaven because it does not fulfill all your hopes. Grumble against yourselves because you do not know how to hope. Heaven doesn't fulfill hopes, but hope. The most sublime and steadfast hope heaven always fulfills. What he was doing in that moment is he was rebuking the smallness of our hopes and calling into question that we ever take hope in something that the world can offer to us. But that our, our hope isn't that our contentment can be found in a thing. But in the middle of a concentration camp, he says our hope is found in Jesus Christ. So it's not your hopes that become accomplished. It's not. We've been talking about Christmas lists in our house. I don't know if you ever made a Christmas list. But it's the JCPenney and Sears catalogs when we were kids were the things that hopes were built upon. I I circled things so fiercely that my parents couldn't even see the picture on the paper anymore. Those little hopes and dreams are but crumbs from the table of what Jesus offers us. Because he doesn't offer us hopes. He offers us hope. That one could find such serenity and such peace in the middle of such hell. As Dachau. The hope. Hope is found in Jesus. The hope of Advent reminds us that Jesus helps us push away our little hopes. Our false hopes. And teaches us to place our confidence in the true hope of the world. In Matthew chapter 1. At the end of Matthew chapter 1. After the uh, genealogy. The account, Matthew tells the account of Joseph and the angel. The angel's showing up to tell Mary, most of you know this. The angel shows up to tell Joseph that Mary's telling the truth. That she's a pregnant virgin. Because Joseph's like, that's not possible. And so the angel says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Notice the line there. thousand years later a thousand years later do not be afraid to take mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the holy spirit she will give birth to a son and you are to give them him the name jesus because he will save people from their sins I have three sons. I've been fortunate and blessed that all three were, were healthy and I've had to go through the difficulty of what it can be to be a parent to find out when your child is born that there may be some complications. With each of those three sons, I've experienced the hope. I've thought about the hope of what could be. I have a friend whose son uh, was born... Uh, with down syndrome and they didn't know that he was going to have down syndrome until he was born. And I, my friend tells the story that they love their son. In fact, he didn't know it at the time, but this was the best thing, the greatest thing that ever happened to them. But in the hospital, those first three days, his dream died. His dream of, what he would be able to give his son, what his son would ever. And now he talks about how he's so grateful for the dream that was birthed those three days. I've never experienced that. I've heard people talk about it. I think if you ask me, part of what, part, one, uh, one group of people who America, the dream has yet been fulfilled for is the handicapped. I had hope for my boys. I never even imagined someone would say to me, they'll save people from their sins. Do you understand the magnitude of a promise like that? Joseph's contemplating, contemplating, how in the world is this possible? What do I do? And the angel comes and says, it's possible. Because with God, we can have hope that the impossible is possible. And the improbable is possible. And then the, uh, the unfathomable is possible. In Israel's history, part of the, the, the thing that they built their hopes on, they built their hopes on, was threefold, and some of you have heard me tell this. They built it on the Torah, which was the law, the book of the law, including the Ten Commandments, which was housed in the Ark of the Covenant, which had been lost. I know you, most of you have seen Indiana, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's not a documentary. We don't know where the Ark is. So the Torah, the temple, which had been destroyed and land, which had been taken away from them. All their hope was gone. It built it on three things that they had lost and they had lost them principally because of their sin. And the angel of the Lord comes and says to Joseph, he'll save his people from their sin. Now that's, For those of us who who live now and understand the power of sin and we've had theological debates and we know we've been taught all this kind of stuff separates us from, from God. But for a person living in Israel to be saved from their sin meant that he would restore their hope. He would bring back all the things that they had lost. Jesus restores hope to those who no longer have it. It's not based on a potential dream. It's a restoration of God's plan from the beginning. A couple more and we're done. The hope that Jesus provides is for everyone. Hope is for the poor, the needy. In fact, I read this week a person say, hope is the comfort of the poor and the needy. Those who don't have a place to find comfort, they put it in the hopes that someday they will. I don't don't ever want to stand here and be political. Don't think that... that's not right. God's love is not dependent on your political affiliation. But in our country, too many people are without hope. And our country, has for its history, has tried to get them to have hope through what our country can provide. I love that our country wants to provide hope. But true hope can't be found in any government. True hope cannot be found in any individual. True hope is only found in Jesus Christ. We need to do better as a country. We need to do better. We need to care for people more. We need to love the unlovable. but true hope is only found in Jesus and it is for everyone people you disagree with people you despise people you don't know people you know people you think are unworthy it doesn't matter all the lists the pros and the cons if they're if they're on the nice or the naughty it's the hope of Jesus is for everyone it is eternal the difference about the hope that Jesus provides is that it is eternal. It doesn't fade. It's not going away. We read it earlier, and his kingdom will know no end. The hope that Jesus provides is forever. The true fulfillment of the hope some of us won't find till we reach heaven. My friend's son, he will not have Down syndrome in heaven. He, just won't. he may not receive a full understanding of healing until then. Yesterday, I attended a funeral for my uncle. Not really my uncle, but he was Uncle Ben to me. He was my dad's college roommate. And uh, um, I asked my dad yesterday, because... My uncle Ben was a big man, like big, biggest man. He was tall, and he wasn't just tall; he was big. He needed to shop at the big and tall shop, if you get my drift. I said to my dad, "Dad, did you ever know Uncle Ben when he wasn't big?" He goes, "Nope, he was big." By that I mean he he knew how to eat. There were pictures yesterday. I saw him in a high school. As a high school wrestler, he was like big, muscular, built. That was not the Uncle Ben I knew, although he was strong. And because of his health, because of his size over uh, the course of his life, he had developed health issues. And uh, two years ago, he had to have his leg amputated, and it got infected, and he had uh, the, the more of his leg amputated. And so for the last couple of years, he walked uh, with – One leg and a prosthetic leg. You don't have to worry about the prosthetic leg now. Because he's been fully restored. Because when we get there, there's no more sickness, there's no more disease. But there are those things here. But in spite of them, he provides hope. You can have hope today. Eternity includes today. And lastly, last one I can offer today is the hope of Jesus is not based on situations now maybe you're here this morning and America's failure to live up to its offer of the American dream for everyone has exhausted you maybe you're tired of just hoping my prayer for you today and I'm going to close with this and then we're going to transition to communion is out of Ephesians chapter 3. It's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And so this is what I would like to offer you today. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your innermost being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how deep and how high is the love of Jesus. To know that this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Then in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. The angel said to Matthew, he will save his people from their sins. More than Matthew could have ever imagined. What is it that's bigger than anything you could imagine? What's the thing in life that just makes it almost impossible to hope? Jesus offers solution for that his hope is bigger than that would you pray with me Jesus thank you for the hope that you provide that it's different than what we are accustomed to what we think is right what we think we need you and your love and your hope is all sufficient help us to desire your hope to seek your love and to find our and to find our fulfillment in you. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite Gary and Doc to come forward. They're going to serve us communion this morning. And as, as they do that, here you go, Gary. You can come to the center aisle on either side and come forward to receive the elements from them. And then as you do that, bring them back to your seat and we will share communion together. How about this? Scripture teaches us that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. He broke it, and he told his disciples that this bread was his body, that it was, was to be broken for them. I've been so cognizant as I've written this week. I've been obviously thinking a lot about history. I've been thinking about a, a lot about leaders in history. I've been thinking a lot about the things that they offer, the things that they say the things that they want. Jesus offers. He came, died. He simply wants us to receive the gift that he's given to us. It's different. It's different throughout history. Kings have desired to be served. One of my favorite Television shows. It's a show I watch often. It's called, it's called The West Wing. And one of the common things that they say on, 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 here, on the show is the characters will say, I serve at the pleasure of the president. And yet Jesus, the ultimate authority, chose to serve. And so he comes and he says, This is my body, which is broken. I'm going to endure the pain and the suffering so that you could have life. And so today we can have life because of the the pain and suffering of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you're different. And that your difference is found most deeply in your love for others over your love for yourself. Help us to embody that. Would you take the bread with me? says after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Covenant was an agreement, a a deeper agreement. It was, it's a, this word, we probably best find it in our, in our country through marriage. Although our statistics on marriage don't seem to line up with the deepness of what a true covenant is. And that's not said to judge anybody. I'm just trying to give you a context of the agreement that God had with Israel and that Jesus was making with us. We no longer have to hope for what could be. Because of Jesus, we are confident of what is. And the hope is that he gets to use us as much as he gets to work in us. Would you, would you pray with me, Jesus? Not in an effort to gain your love, but in a response of gratefulness to you. Help me to live a life that honors you and that points people in the direction of Jesus. I hope that your light shines in me. Would you drink with me today? Would you stand as I offer today's benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord, turn his face towards you and give you peace and hope. God, be honored by what we say and do. Help us to shine your light and your hope into the darkness. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.